so here are some song lyrics. Um, there's some hoes in this house. There's some hoes in this house. I said certified freak seven days a week. Whereas pussy make that pull out game weak. Um, is this a feminist anthem? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like sometimes um, I've had my ten year old walk past, going, "Bitch, sit down, be humble." I'm like, "What? <laughs> Do you want a whooping?" <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it may be a feminist anthem, but I won't sing it. <laughs> I said certified freak Seven days a week Wet ass pussy Make that pullout game weak Hi everyone Welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree So that question that I posed was actually borrowed from Z-Way uh, A fabulous comedian and social commentator From the show that she does for Showtime Where she actually posed the same question to Gloria Steinem about whether Wet Ass Pussy by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion is a feminist anthem or not. I thought it would be an interesting question to pose in this context as well, just to get us thinking about um, feminism and the way in which we express feminism across generations and why and how that might feel very distinctive. And on that note, the topic that we're discussing today is the generation gap in feminism. The special guest we have is Janessia. She's a journalist, writer, former contributor to TS and co-host of the amazing podcast Thursday Bitches. So we're very excited to have her here with us to join this debate and enrich it with her insights. And um, to start off with, I think I want to ask everybody a question straight off the bat, yes or no. Is there a generation gap in feminism? This is Shishti, your host, by the way. Hi, this is Janessia. These are very nice things you said about me. I can't remember them be- anymore because I would respond to them individually, but I'm such an old feminist. And yes, there is a generational gap, but is it a bad thing or a good thing? We'll have to talk about it. Hi, this is Rohita. Uh My answer to that is yes and no. Hey, it's Carla. Um yeah, definitely there's a generation gap in feminism and it's great. Like, bring it on. It's forcing us all to think better and harder about the work we do. In the spirit of bringing it on, um, I'm going to ask everybody a question which you need to respond to. Okay. Um, to give a little bit of context, um, the Aziz Ansari case which came up um, in 2018 around the time of Me Too was um, about a woman who'd gone on a date with him and had gone over to his house Um and had spoken about feeling extreme discomfort in the sexual encounter that she had with him. Now, do you think what Aziz Ansari did was just bad sex, or was it sexual harassment or assault? So this is the um, this is the touchstone where you know the people come wait for you to answer this question to decide whether they're going to cancel you or not, isn't it, Shishti? You're setting us up, aren't you? It's fine. I have an answer. <laughs> the thing is that, you know, we. I think what we are looking at is different generations reacting to things in different ways, okay? And I know this sounds like a cop-out, but I've really thought about this. And then I followed the story and I followed uh, the kind of problems that the storytelling had and the magazine, um, you know, its credibility was questioned and the woman who wrote it, her credibility was questioned. And, you know, it was very complicated. 
But I'm going to say that my generation would probably lean towards saying, hey, man, it's just bad sex. Uh, the younger generation probably say it's assault. I don't think it's either. I just think it was a terrible moment of miscommunication and then taking it to the press and making a much bigger deal about it than it would normally have been made of. I think uh, it's not my place to say, uh, but that's where I'm coming from. It, she, If she called it the worst night of her life, which she did, uh, then I believe her. And it's not my place to decide whether it is uh, bad sex or sexual assault. I think part of the problem is that it was framed in the press as like pitting feminists against each other. Like this is the first place, I think, where we started hearing this rhetoric around the sort of denigration of the older feminists, because you had all of these women who were known as these staunch feminists, but who were in their 50s, 60s and 70s coming out and sort of being like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, like this is this is just this is absurd. Why are we even talking about this? This woman should stand up and speak for herself and walk out the door. Right. And so the moment that you had people dismissing her experience and not being willing to talk about this gray area that that the situation clearly implicated, the whole thing blew up. And then we weren't talking about what actually happened. I think back then in that frenzy, even I was, I was like, yes, you know, what we should support the woman and whatever's happened is right. And, and also when, but when, but when I look back three years since that's happened and I actually am in a different state of mind, you can actually look back and think about, Hey, that was complicated and it could have been a time to reflect but maybe the internet just isn't made for that. <laughs> so I just want to say, Shrishti, that I think we were in office. We had one of the biggest office fights. Like our Swaddle team had one of the biggest office fights when this was all blowing up. And we there were two of us who got pegged as older, <laughs> older feminists, right? Very, um, yeah. Um, not in a complimentary way. Um, and two of us who got pegged as older feminists because we said exactly this, because we said, hold on a second. There's nuance here. There's complicated. You can't like, we can't just paint this with broad, with a broad brush and say like everything she says happened exactly the way she says it without understanding some of the layers and some of the nuance involved in this situation. Even if we believe every single aspect of her factual account, which I do, I have no reason not to, right? But it's still complicated. And, and we basically, me and one other person got like canceled within the office, which was hilarious. And we had this whole debate. My point is, <laughs> to me, this raises an interesting question, which is like, do so-called older feminists possibly have some life experience and a sense of perspective that helps us to see things in a slightly less knee-jerk way, right? Like, is it possible that we have a, a sense of like, okay, stop, pause, like, you know, life is long. Things are complicated. Life is complicated. Let's pause and like think about this in as multidimensional a way as possible. Uh, maybe there's something good about that. Hit me, Rohita. I'm ready. <laughs> so uh, my, my issue over here is with the framing of the question as was it bad sex or sexual assault? Because that is like completely putting a spotlight on the person who experienced, who had this experience, rather than talking about accountability and, and restorative justice versus um, uh, retributive justice, which should have been the conversation. But instead, uh, the debate between like older and newer feminists was in terms of classifying the act or whatever happened into either one category. 
when we ourselves are acknowledging that it's gray and it is complicated but uh, a lot of the a lot of the divide came from the fact that uh, we felt this need to put this in either one slot or the other and and so that led to um, you know older generations of feminists being like hey if we have to put this in something it's definitely not sexual assault and then the the younger generation or the newer generation or whatever saying how can you not call it that we need to have conversations about consent and so on so yeah i think the framing itself is pretty problematic over there but i just want to ask like all of you what qualifies as a generation gap and what doesn't so for you when you talk about a generation gap in feminism is there a specific thing that you've ever thought about that yeah this is how i'd say that there probably is some sort of a generation gap um so over here there's a lot of uh, research and um uh, insights from from academics to talk about like the way the the feminist movement in india has progressed throughout history and so you have in the 70s and 80s something called the autonomous indian women's movement which mobilized around issues of sexual violence especially around the custodial rape of uh, mathura who is an adivasi girl whom the police had raped in their custody but this was then broken up in the 90s with liberalization where it was called like the ngoization of feminism in like a pejorative sense but interestingly uh, there was a lot of infighting in this group itself among the so called older generation of feminists where uh, newer assertions of dalit and bahujan feminisms were being blamed for breaking up the movement sort of breaking up the unified single nature of the movement when the national federation of dalit women was formed in 1995 uh you have that kind of infighting on the one hand within the same generation and then you have in the 2000 late 2000s you have like newer forms of activism like the pink chaddi campaign uh the slut walks um and so on that was sort of precursors to the kind of digital feminist activism that we see today so i guess it it it's in terms of like what exactly the goals were in the it wouldn't be like inaccurate to say that in the older generation of feminist people like feminists try to tackle specific things like rape whereas the newer generation tries to tackle rape culture so it's kind of like a shift from a political to a more cultural uh sense in terms of generations but in terms of infighting that's always been there you know i i know this is kind of idealistic but i really think that we all understand that you know every wave of feminism has evolved on the previous wave and uh in some ways we're constantly trying to better the arguments and make them more nuanced it's like uh, someone told me i can't remember who at the priya ramani trial a young woman uh, went up to a lawyer and she said you know if you guys had just like uh you know been more forceful at that time none of this would have happened and that lawyer told her that you know we had much more structural things to deal with and we did our best and this case is coming out from that sort of uh, thinking and those kind of challenges and you know it's like priya ramani herself said she said i spoke because women before me spoke up and and i spoke so people after me can speak up so i don't i don't like to think of us as different generations to be very honest i just really think that this is very much you know the gathering river rather than you know these separate tributaries and i might be an old feminist for saying this but you know i don't think it's good for us to even leave room in feminism for just ageism 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting in terms of defining uh, old or new feminism because we say that um, if if I have to take an example of like a feminist rallying cry today, a uh, smashed Brahminical patriarchy, uh, it has its roots in, I mean, you can argue that it has its roots in uh, what Sharmila Rege said uh, way back in the late 90s, early 2000s about the Dalit feminist standpoint where you sort of draw your feminism and feminist knowledge and uh, praxis from the lived experiences of the most marginalized women. So the kind of vocabulary that we have now is actually drawn from, quote-unquote, the older generation. So it's really not about the age. And it's also complicated to say that it's about the ideas because this idea did come from uh, the older generation. So it's kind of like a weird... Uh, thing happening over there where you can't really define or slot people into either of these categories. I mean, it feels to me like what people are just saying is that when when we talk about like younger feminists, it's just the most radical possible version, like the most, I, I guess, like, you know, the most progressive or radical version of feminism that we're talking about within feminist discourse. And then when people get labeled as older feminists, it's because they're they're articulating some sort of feminism that, you know, that was super radical maybe 20 years ago or, you know, 10 years ago. I thought the one of the, I thought the, the Me Too movement showed us a really interesting, that, that interesting divide when there were a lot of situations that did not rise to the level of like criminal sexual assault, but where we were in that sort of gray area territory. Um, and a lot of the so-called older feminists were saying, look, part of women's empowerment, true empowerment, is that women need to also learn to navigate these situations, right? Like women need to be able to have the the voice to assert themselves in these situations and say, I'm not comfortable. I don't like this. Like I'm, you know, as, again, we're not talking about situations where they're being physically overpowered. We're talking about a power dynamic that's unspoken, that's unphysical, right? And And isn't it better, again, this is not my argument, I'm saying this is what was out there, that isn't it better for young women to learn to navigate some of the existing power dynamics, which we won't destroy overnight. They're out there. We have to admit that they're there and that we have to live our lives on this planet while they exist. So shouldn't we learn to navigate them? And shouldn't we learn to use our voice and stand up in those situations? And of course, the reaction from, again, so-called younger feminists was, burn it all down. That's an unacceptable viewpoint. Like we just have to get rid of the power dynamics overnight. And I thought, you know, one seemed to me a sort of practical solution given the circumstances, which we all admit are not perfect. And one was like a, we just have to raise it all and start from scratch. And I'm, I don't know which one is going to get us the end result we all want faster. Teti Bhattacharya talks about this in a little manifesto called Feminism for the 99% where she's talking about like lean-in sort of feminism, like Sheryl Sandberg, that sort of feminism. And she calls it equal opportunity domination. Uh, And she quotes, one that asks ordinary people in the name of feminism to be grateful that it is a woman, not a man, who busts their union, orders a drone to kill their parent, or locks their child in a cage at the border. So this is essentially what it comes down to, where we're questioning do we aspire to power or do we completely change how we are looking at this debate completely? 
still Rohit the whole time because I, I refuse to be lumped with like the evil white feminists that you just lumped me with who are locking children in cages. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> just no way. No way. No way. No way. So That's not you. Huge... I'm just no, talking no, I'm more. Saying, no, 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 but I'm saying there's huge issues with that, you know, the sort of like the Sheryl Sandbergian version of like white feminism. And I don't subscribe to any of that. Right. So I have major, major issues with that. But I'm talking about something that is equally radical as in you're you can't dismantle everything overnight it's it's not gonna work like it doesn't it doesn't happen it has never happened right so how can we do it it's like to me it's it's a it's a question of do you dismantle from within right or do you sit on twitter and talk about dismantling so because i'm not seeing a third way that people are doing this other than again like activists who who dedicate their life's work to this which is a separate a completely separate thing i think from the vast majority of people but there is also the question that a lot of uh, younger or newer feminists are asking about giving up power. Are feminists uh, fr- who are coming from a privilege- privileged space uh, willing to give up their power and make space for um, people who haven't had the mantle and the platform? And that's where the whole pass the mic thing comes from, right? Could you give me an example in the real world of what you just said? I, 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 this, I'm, so, I'm sorry to be like coming in with my crutches and my uh, false teeth here, but like I'm trying to understand in the real world what that means. When you say pass the mic or you say give your power up, uh, what, how would that translate into an, imagine, an imaginary situation or you know, just, a, just a random example? So it just means um, giving up the power of your platform because what tends to happen is that uh, in Indian, again, I'm speaking in the Indian context, like Savarna, feminists tend to dominate almost all the conversations that happen uh, about various issues. And when people say pass the mic, uh, it means basically uh, just s- like stopping, like not speaking and listening for a change uh, and allowing um, more marginalized feminists, uh, you know, Dalit women, trans women, uh, people to basically take this forward and yeah that's what it means I, I, I'm sorry I don't have like a very concrete example but that's essentially what it is so Rohita I actually think I mean I I don't know I would venture to say all four of us are completely on the same page about passing the mic within activist circles as in I would like to I would like feminists who have been sidelined in the movement to be more visible and be more active because I think it helps everybody for us to be having the most radical, most inclusive possible conversation at the activist level, like 100%. But I thought we were talking about our day-to-day lives and like how we as, you know, as feminists like operating in the world, how do we do the best we can? And I don't think my advice to any young feminist would be relinquish your paycheck, relinquish your power, sit and wait and make the most radical possible comment on Twitter. That would be a terrible move. What I'm saying is it scares me when you, I don't don't understand what it means when you say women should step aside because it's so scary. There are like 25 guys for every other woman ready to take the mic and she might be too scared to do it, you know? I also feel, I mean, we're, we're all, I think we're all holding back in this conversation a little bit because I know I'm not saying like 99% <laughs> what I, because I'm scared of getting canceled. No, I'm serious. I don't want like anything I say to come back and like fly in, in my face in three years. But the truth is, is that 
there's a huge, huge, huge difference between operating as a feminist on social media and making the wokest possible, most up-to-date, most radical, most progressive feminist statement you can on social media and actually living these values in a way that is meaningful and perhaps impacts some small microcosm of people around you. And like, there's a difference between those two. And so I think, and and what is actually much, much, much more difficult is to live the values on a regular basis. So I just want, you know, I would like to know that all of us are doing it. Older feminists, younger feminists sort of doesn't matter that everybody's working within, you know, the, the energy, the capacity, the, you know, the whatever modicum of power they have to, you know, to elevate people around them and to, to sort of make a difference. But I think we have to just sort of admit to ourselves, even something as simple as like standing up to a sexist relative on a WhatsApp group when somebody sends an inappropriate joke, that can sometimes take a huge amount of guts and you get blowback from family. It's a big deal to do things like that. And every time we do things like that, it's important and it's meaningful and it does something. Like, I really believe that like the the, in the aggregate, those small things make a huge difference. So we're all doing them. And so it doesn't matter where you are in terms of like how ready you are to really shake things up in the context of your own family or relationships or friendships or workplace. As long as we're all doing them, I think we're moving forward. I have something to say here that might be a little controversial, but... <laughs> um, so while I agree with your example about how um, it is meaningful, like these small acts of courage are meaningful and important, I wonder if a lot of the time, like not a lot of the time, but I wonder if if we zoom out a little bit, uh, are those acts of courage for oneself or is it serving a larger purpose? As in, is it for if I'm doing something like that, and I do it a lot, I'm not saying I don't, uh, and it makes me feel good, but is it doing anything beyond that is my question. Uh, I feel like a better feminist when I do that, but am I a better feminist? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, of course you are. I mean, listen, we can't all be Angela Davis, right? Like, there's there's a way in which we all have our limitations, and so... As long as we're, I mean, I don't know, Rohita, I actually, when I push back in some situations and I fight with people, I actually don't feel very good. I many times feel like it would have been easier for me and I would have felt better and like it would have greased my, greased the wheels of my relationships and everything if I just shut up. So I actually think I don't feel good and I feel like I have more conflict in my life and I piss people off more <laughs> when I speak up and so it creates more problems for me personally. Um... And it's something I'm constantly navigating because I'm like, do I want this drama in my life right now, right? Like, do I speak up? Do I not speak up? For me, it's usually a negative thing for myself. Yeah, I don't deny any of that. Um, but you know what? I think um, Twitter is its own monster and I think deserves a separate conversation. But just because a lot of younger or newer feminism is taking place online, that doesn't mean it's just hot takes on Twitter, right? Like, we are having the same conversations that you described at the restaurant on Twitter sometimes. And that's just how it is. It's just uh, occupying a different space. 
I just I know what you're saying that you can replicate the conversation from the internet to the to real to the real world. All I'm saying is that when you get to a certain place where you're kind of entrenched in a few societies and you're entrenched in a few social circles, these things can affect your work. You know, there are a lot of people who would say like, I don't want to work with that bitch, Janessia. She's a, she's she's a, she's trouble, and it's affecting. That's what happens. You know, it's. I'm not dissing anyone, and I'm. I really think young feminists are showing us to have courage in ways that maybe we did not have courage. Then I really salute you guys, and I really think the inclusivity you bring and the ideas you bring are amazing. But it's not that we are not ready to give up power, or we are not ready to, um, uh, you know, live like we are. You know what we're doing. The day-to-day grunt work of feminism. doesn't make for good social media it doesn't make for talking about it i couldn't even give you examples in a day of what my feminism entails but it exhausts me you know it is exhausting so i have like a larger question which is like i i'm not even sure what the utility of this debate is like why are we talking about older feminists younger does it even matter like as in we all ultimately have this hopefully the same value system and we're all marching towards the same goal right so like does it really matter who uses what tools to try to get there like why does this gen- why are we even asking the question if this divide exists does it matter if it exists okay uh yeah i think that is a valid question to be asking like in terms of what purpose does this uh debate even serve but i think it came up uh it there was renewed debate about this in the wake of uh Kamala Harris's passing uh and you know she was of course a legendary feminist activist and she the the volume and amount she contributed to the movement is isn't uh, easily comparable but uh she in the wake of her passing there were people who were bringing up her um her some comments that she made recently uh which were trans exclusionary and casteist um and i think that was the that that sort of like brought back the whole debate between generations of feminisms where people felt that she was not acknowledging her words with enough um care or you know in re- she wasn't responding to criticism in a very uh, healthy or fair way but um yeah i think it's important to have these conversations in that context because it's like how do you um reconcile these issues while also acknowledging uh somebody's legacy and how much they have given and how much we in fact um grow from what they have uh sword so and i think to add to that ruta and to answer your question about kala why does it matter i feel like it manifests in the idea that we grow up in different spaces like i think each generation especially is growing up on the internet more and more like for me uh, you know i'm 26 so i i have grown up maybe lesser on the internet than someone who is 21 now who literally who spend their entire adolescence on the internet right so i feel like it changes our mode of activism it changes our mode of thinking it changes our the way in which we react and i think that's why the whole question of a gap even arises right because with each new generation there's a new way like a new language new tools of communication which kind of like bring into question a lot of the older belief systems 
with entirely new tools or entirely new ideas like say something like lifestyle feminism or newer ideas of criticisms which sometimes you'd hear and you'd be like wait what is what does that even mean i have no idea because it's possible for every generation at some point in time to feel that way um and i feel like that's what shows up in a lot of debates as well right like i think we saw this in the case of a lot of feminists um so there was someone like jk rowling on the one hand and her uh, kind of view on trans women and whether trans women are women or not which was widely acknowledged to be exclusionary and you know um not on point at all and then there was someone like chimamanda adichie who has who's not who's known for being a feminist right and who's known for influencing feminist thinking in um the quote unquote third world also in a lot of ways who made a comment which she said it was taken out of context again about trans women and and like just thinking through gender and experiences which she gave a clarification for but with nonetheless i think there was a lot of conversation similarly about language and about thinking things through um and again where you're being held who is holding you accountable more it's like all of the people who have access to twitter who are constantly tweeting or who are on instagram who are like putting out their opinion instantly they might not have read your book but they know who you are and they are going to like put out a tweet and say what have you said right now how that corresponds to the offline is difficult to say until you actually hear voices and representatives and you kind of see what's going on but i think automatically a lot of the criticism ends up coming from a younger generation and it becomes a generational thing simply because they're the ones who are online more and who are voicing their opinions and concerns there more so i feel like that's why the generational issue becomes kind of it it becomes a question and becomes a question to ask you know the internet has made this particular issue whether it's jehi rowling or it's uh, chimananda uh, adichi you know it's become a place where you just you know you could just you have to really pick your words and you know it uh, what has happened with the internet and picking your words is that we've lost the ability to look at intent um somebody called me i i just reposted uh, chimananda's thing more in a conversation i was having with somebody else in dm about what's going on how can we navigate this she's talking about feeling actually hard done by by this woman but this woman has said that she's uh, a turf and so we were trying to figure out what was going on and trying to pass what was actually said versus what commentary was very hard and this guy i know uh, who knows me but not very well for the last 2 or 3 years he kind of told me he said uh, i think you should look up turfs so i was like huh what he was like oh they're trans exclusionary radical feminists and you might be one and you know i was pretty offended i have to say um because i felt that it was very clear that i am bloody inclusive in whatever way and i'm learning every day but i was trying to i was struggling with what the issue was never mind the terminology never mind anything i couldn't even figure out what was going on but he had already called me a turf and i was pretty impressed because you know what a feminist guy but the thing was that what it did was it put me on the on the defensive and that's never a good place to learn about anything i think we risk sometimes in these very knee jerk reactions is like we're we're sometimes critiquing people for just basically not being up on the lingo, right? When I think to Genesia's point, the intent is perhaps something different. And I think if if you are oppressed and again I'm the last person to speak being like I guess perhaps the least in some sort of spectrum, but like 
you can understand where that anger comes from sometimes of like having to explain things to people all the time and, and of like you know people passing comments and you have to kind of talk to them and talk through them or whatever but i i also get the point that you're making and i think that's part of what this whole conversation is right like where we begin from that i think we need more respectful disagreement and what we're talking about as generational gaps might not even be that but i think they might be communication gaps which come out of just being in touch with different things online i think it's not even about the generation you're from you could be from like uh, a a different generation and be really cued in but if you're completely cued out of social media you could even be 21 or 22 and have no idea what is the right thing to say or what is the right language to use um and i feel like maybe that's at the heart of the conflict which we're kind of trying to get at and which we've been discussing on this while i don't know what you think i actually completely agree with that i mean it's not to like tone police people who do express rage but i don't blame them as well i think it's a function of social media where you kind of don't have to see the other person to uh say things to them so i think where these conversations take place is a really important aspect of that communication gap that you're talking about shishti i agree shishti you nailed it i actually think that there is very little like older feminist younger feminist divide there's like a communication gap divide and the only thing that's going to get us past it is for people to like meaningfully engage beyond the most surface level statements right i totally agree with you guys and this has been a it's, a, it's like it's a disaster because we should have been fighting with each other <laughs> but you know um you know i think what i've done myself and that's why i really love the internet is that i actively seek out people of other ages so i'm not just content with you know asking my 20 20 year old indoctrinated feminist what she thinks but i you know i follow women i start conversations with them you know they're like women who are 30 women who are 75 and it's really you know you really learn a lot from everyone i mean you know i have get a bit grossed out by like those very uh, detailed personal vibratory views and stuff so i've had to like navigate uh, that but the thing is that it really takes away any rivalry and any mutual dismissiveness or you know fear of seen as like you know we're getting irrelevant yep and i think on that note to all of the listeners of this podcast hopefully you listen to this podcast and got to unpack a lot of what you think about the generation gap and got perspectives from a lot of different angles and i think to just think through like you said that we're all together at the end of it we all have solidarity and <laughs> on that note uh See you again next time. I think I'm going to play um Whereas Pussy by uh Megan Thee Stallion just to end this on the note or just to remind ourselves where this started. From. <laughs>